Pulse Audio Podcast Network. Part of the Boundless Audio Podcast Network. Welcome to Whiny About History, the women's history podcast, where two besties with breasties whine about women from history that you probably haven't heard of, but deaf should have. Mm-hmm. I'm Emily, and I'm fleeing across the border. <laughs> I'm Kelly, and I don't think I am. I don't know yet. I'll That's okay. You know. I was going to say, you can tell me when it's safe to come back. Um, so I'm not actually fleeing, and the opening is slightly relevant because... We have another wine sponsor. Yeah, bow, 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 bow. So, uh, f- friend of the podcast and fan, Chelsea Dunning, and Canadian native, you, which means she's like the nicest person on the face of the planet. She <laughs> sponsored a wine, and in her comment, she just wrote, Hi, Emily, with three like face heart emojis. And that's all I need. It, it was super funny because Kelly texted me. She's like, do you know Chelsea? Well, I was like, I was like, what? Was How like, do you know Chelsea? Yeah, no. So Chelsea is my Canadian friend who is living in Minnesota. And now she moved to the East Coast. East Coast, Beast Coast. But Midwest is best. And I miss her. But I'm so thankful that she sponsored wine. So naturally, we were trying to find something. We were trying to find like a Canadian wine or like a Canada-themed wine. And I learned a lot about Canada just trying to find inspiration for wine. For example... Well, let's let's start with the fact that like Canada doesn't export a lot of wine particular to the U.S. because our market is so competitive and their wineries tend not to make as much product. That was the first thing I, f- I found out. <laughs> yeah. And so, then I got flooded with Canada facts from Emily as we tried to Oh find my God. I was texting her. I was like, okay, so their national animal is the beaver. Can you find beaver wine? Which like, we should just have beaver wine on tap regardless. I know. Like, why I, I went we to the Minnesota that? section. I was like, if yeah. anyone has beaver wine, it's going to be Did here. you know? Okay. I learned this when I was in Colorado. Did you know that Minnesota's fossil is the giant beaver? The answer is the sea. I can't think of what it's called now. Uh, it's, it's just called a giant. I'm, I'm just it? calling it a giant beaver. Well, I'm sure there's like a Latin scientific name, but fuck that shit. We are the fighting giant beavers. At least my giant beaver is fighting, ready to go. Give me a reason. Anyway, um, so we learned that they, they have two national animals, the beaver, just the regular beaver, not the giant fighting beaver, um, and the Canadian horse, which led to another fact. There is a Canadian horse. Yep. Like, does it just go, sorry? That was, I'm not terrible. proud of that. I'm not yeah. proud of that. But I also found the Canadian coat of arms, also called Arms of His Majesty the King and Right of Canada. There's also a French title for it. I am not going to read it because... Let's not offend most of Canada. You know what? I I can fuck with the French all I want, but the French Canadians, they can find me. They're going to come for me. So the... 
the coat of arms, also known as the Royal Coat of Arms of Canada, um, is the arms of dominion of the Canadian monarch and thus also the official coat of arms of Canada in use since 1921. So it just turned over 100 years old for its, for its like being in use. Wow. Um, it looks kind of like a traditional, you know, when you think of coat of arms, it's very medieval. There's a lion. There's another lion with a crown. Um, the lion with the crown is actually holding up a maple leaf, which is my new favorite thing. And then there's a crown floating above the crowned maple leaf lion. All right. But most notably, they have a fucking unicorn. Maybe that's what a Canadian horse is. It's not. I kind of looked it up. What, what is a Canadian horse then? It, I mean, it just looks like a wild horse. I don't know what the difference oh, is. Are, is it like one of those little stubby ones? No. Oh, like the Mongolian horses at the zoo? Um. Okay. Canadian horse is a breed from Canada. It I, is I thought it was going to stop right there. Well-muscled breed of a horse, usually dark in color, usually used for riding or driving. So they're usually like black or brown. And I mean, other than that, they kind of just look like a standard horse. So, yeah. You know, maybe it's like our geese are Canadian geese. All of our horses are Canadian horses. But we don't want to give Canada credit because we're so like into like being cowboys in the Wild West and Western expansion and meh, meh, meh. So we're like, no, no, no. They are just horses now. We won't give Canada credit. Well, anyway, the coat of arms has a unicorn on it. So I found a bottle of wine called Lapis Luna and the art is really cool. This is one of the prettier bottles that we've had in quite a while. It almost kind of looks like an old school tarot card. Yeah, it does. But it shows like someone in a purple, a blonde person with a bun in a purple dress and like a little kind of, it's not a cowboy hat, but like a wide brimmed rancher hat like hanging off their back riding a unicorn and the unicorn's horn is a rainbow nice yes so that is a proud ass unicorn that unicorn will protect trans kids that unicorn will stab you if you threaten trans and lgbtq plus youth yep um and the horse the the unicorn is like rearing back and there's a waterfall and the moon and a little castle and it's like it's very medieval looking and then the back has an illustration of a heart on fire with a woman like holding it up and it says those who don't believe in magic will never find it so instantly i'm like yes and you know not only does this have a unicorn like the canadian coat of arms it's very witchy and spiritual and pretty and like fun and out there which is very chelsea so i just want to read the back there's not a ton to read here but it says Lapis Luna 2021 Rose Wine, Central Coast, California. Polished, elegant, bright, and subtle. So, yeah. It, it literally just needs four words to describe itself. Yeah. They, they're like, we don't care about describing the wine. We just want you to know you must believe in magic. I love the pro-magic propaganda. This is the kind of propaganda that we need to be inundated with. Yes. All right. So I'm going to pour my glass because I didn't do this beforehand because this had a cork in it and I had to go through a whole process to uncork it. I make it sound like it was. Oh, Canada. Yes. Because I, okay. I was going to do like a whole spoof opening of the song, 
And I realized, oh my God, after my home and native land, I don't know the tune. Like, I don't know how you sing the words. So we listened to it and I'm like, okay, I got this. And three seconds into trying to type it, I'm like, I don't got this. I'm doing the first two lines. That's all you get. It was great though. You're welcome, Canada. I didn't ruin your national anthem. Again, so probably for the best. To Chelsea? To Chelsea, to Canada. And to unicorns. And to unicorns. And lions holding maple leaves with crowns on them, with a crown floating above them. Seriously, I kind of love the Canadian coat of arms. And if you want an extensive shout out that forces us to learn about other countries, especially cool ones like Canada, you can sponsor a bottle of wine at buymeacoffee.com forward slash W-A-H pod. You can sponsor one bottle of wine for $5. You can sponsor as many as you want, but it's just a way for you to give a one-time gift to sponsor a bottle of wine, keep the wine flowing, keep the stories coming, and force me to learn a bunch of facts about Canadian beavers and horses. I just like that all three animals on the Canadian coat of arms are sticking their tongues out. Wait, are they? Yep. They're so fucking metal. They're basically they're like, like they're doing the metal and they're going. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love for like okay, Canada for has a, very a reputation country. for being very yeah intense. so nice and you know like obviously Canada has their issues, don't we all? Um, but yeah, it's. Honestly, the only part that feels very Canadian to me is the lion holding up the maple leaf. And I, everyone needs to look this up. It's literally a lion wearing a crown holding up a maple leaf. And that is the most Canadian thing I've ever seen. It's so beautiful. And I like to think it's like, hey, we love our leaves, but we will fuck you up if we have to. So cheers, America's hat. Land of cheap prescriptions and legal cannabis. And the moose and beavers and hot mounties on horses. So, you know, it has like the motto across the bottom. Oh, yeah. The, the Latin thing. Ad mare. Uh, it means from sea to sea. Aww. I looked it up. I actually really like that. From sea to it's sea. It's from a significantly longer, not significantly, it's from a, a longer phrase from the Bible. Um, that I can only find in Latin, but it means from sea to sea. Oh my God. That makes sense because they are from sea to sea. Unlike us who are from sea to shining sea. All right. Suck it, Canada. One of our seas are shiny. (laughs) The full thing that it's a breakdown from is he shall have dominion also from sea to sea and from the river unto the ends of the earth. So that's the full Who's he? It's from the Bible, so I assume God. Well, there are a lot of he's in the Bible. Yeah. Jesus had like at least 12 he's following him around. (laughs) And Jesus himself was Was a a he. he. That's true. (laughs) As far as we know. All right. Well, thank you so much, Chelsea, for sponsoring this bottle of wine. It will serve us well. And also, because I have met Chelsea in person and fucking love her, my story is inspired by Canada, but Kelly is going first. Mercifully, I know. I know. I thank you, like, Jesus. I mean, you can go first. God bless you, Canada. Yeah, my person is not from Canada. That's okay. 
So I'm covering Sheila Scott. Already hate her. No, I'm kidding. Like, jeez. <laughs> She's not Canadian. I already hate her. I'm kidding. Like, I think it's funny that you're like, I, I mentioned the name of my woman and you're like, I hate her. When I mentioned some of the names of the men, you're like, that's a nice name. And I'm like, yeah, he's an asshole. And you're yeah, like, oh. but what, what was that one name? It was like Rupert Victorio, yeah. like Salaman or something. Yeah. He sucked, but his name was fantastic. Right. And again, I think we should be able to rename people based on how much they suck. Right. No one gets to have a cool name and suck ass. Yeah. So Sheila Scott was actually born Sheila Christine Hopkins. Ooh. In Worcester, Worcestershire, England. Worcester, Worcestershire, 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 Worcestershire. I don't understand why they like have the name of the city and then it's the city name with the word Shire after it and then England. You know, I think it actually might be Worcestershire. Worcestershire. Or, okay, so here's the, here's the thing though. Worcester. I don't know. There are a lot of there are a lot of cities on the east coast of the United States named after English cities, but then they decided to pronounce them differently. So there is a um, Worcestershire, Worcestershire, I think in Massachusetts. Yeah, it's, it's, I don't know if it's a woo. I, okay, here we go. Worcester. Worcestershire. Yeah, Worcester. So it's, wow. Worcester and then Worcestershire. Okay. I, I, I also love how we got the Cockney gal. Yep. Worcester. <laughs> Would you like some Worcester, That was the one Google gave me. God damn it. So England. um, (laughs) Let's just call it England. We're going to go with England. uh, Or in England. Um, She, her home life at school, or her home life was okay, but she spent most of her childhood at a boarding school named the Alice Otley School, which just sounds like a, Alice Otley was like the person who founded the school, and I'm. Okay. We may have covered her. You know what? That's what I it thought. It sounds vaguely familiar, I but covered, I did not look it up. I covered Elsie Ott. Yeah. So I think that's what it is. She she was the one who flew the mission, I think, from... It, it was like during the Vietnam War, maybe? Or World War II? Where basically she was the yeah. only nurse keeping like nine people on this yeah, fucking plane that. alive. Yeah. Okay. But yeah. So... She didn't do great at school. She almost got expelled several times. I couldn't find any information on it, which where I'm like, come on, guys. Like, these are the stories I want. Tell me why she almost got expired or expelled. <laughs> because, <laughs> because she was shoved to the back of the milk fridge yep. and no one would pick her. No one wanted her. Yeah. You know, I will say, though, like... I wouldn't be the person who's like, oh my God, let me tell you about how I almost got expelled from school. Oh, I would be. Like, here's the thing. I like If it's a cool story, I would want that. It's usually not though. If it's like, yeah, I released 20,000 cows into the school. Great story. If it's, I'm just, I, I just suck, suck at math. math. I yeah. suck at math. That's not a cool story. I was having a troubling mental health time and just sucked. Yeah, no, it's, um... So I, I get that. Yeah. But it's relatable. I think all of us have had that point in school where we're like, I'm dying. Like for me, it was K through 12 and then freshman, sophomore, half a junior and all of senior year of college. Yeah. And then I stopped doing school. Yep. 
Yeah. Yep. So I forgot to mention she was born in 1922. Oh, okay. So we're in the roaring 20s. Roaring 20s. Well, Rawr. by the time she's out of school, probably in the late 30s, approaching World War. Ooh, the uh, super two. sad 30s. <laughs> yeah. Um, so after school, prior to the war and partially during the war, she tried her hand at acting and modeling and theater. And um, this is when she took up the name Sheila Scott and would continue to use it for basically the rest of her life. Um, she primarily worked in London, appearing in small roles, like I said, in theater and film and television and would work as a model. She would start this kind of like... At, Prior to the war and then kind of continue through the war up until like 1959-ish. But during World War II, she would obviously like pause that. There wasn't really a lot of film and television going on during that time. No, they were busy getting bombed to hell. Right. And she would actually go to the Hasler Naval Hospital and learn to be a nurse and um, work there to provide aid for people in the hospital, like soldiers coming home injured. So she did that temporarily during the war, which I think is really, really cool. I love that for her. Uh, During the war, just briefly, because I don't want anyone to say, like, I missed a part of her history. She got married for, like, five years. I literally couldn't. The guy's name was Rupert Bellamy. That is it. I know his name. I know that they were married for five years. That's about it. The name sounds familiar, but I did not Google him. I was going to say Bellamy sounds really familiar. I don't know. I'll I'll look it up. You keep going. Um, my point, though, is like I, I couldn't find like if it was a terrible marriage and that's why it didn't work. If it was because she was like being a nurse and that's why it didn't work. I don't know. You know, there's a million reasons a marriage doesn't work out and it's okay. So there apparently was a TV show called... Upstairs, downstairs. That's what I'm reading right now. And there was a character named Major James Rupert Bellamy. Love it. That's a good name. I hope he didn't suck. Yeah. Otherwise, we have to change his name. Um, that's funny that we were both like got, getting to the same thing. So after working in the Naval Hospital, um, she decided to pursue a dream that she had had since childhood, which was flying. She had talked to a lot of the soldiers in the hospital, you know, just because it was a naval hospital doesn't mean it was all Navy soldiers, but she had yeah. talked to a lot of them and, like, really, like, developed this passion and, like, wanted to be a pilot. Well, and you can be in the Navy and still be a pilot. That is true. There are Navy pilots. Yeah, like, because the Navy's the one who they have all those ships that the yeah. planes take off from. Although they do, sometimes the Air Force will take off from Navy ships. I'm pretty sure all sections of the military have some flight because the army has the airborne. Yeah. The Marines tend to be the first line, so they tend to fly in. <laughs> Let, let's keep speculating about the, the makeup of the military. military which we have absolutely no idea. Yeah. About. Yeah, yeah. Let's just, um, yeah. Everyone has jetpacks done. Right. <laughs> Basically she, she had already kind of liked flying and then like as she talked to different soldiers and stuff, it really just solidified like, hey, this is something I want to learn to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so in 1958, she would go to the Thruxton Aerodrome, um, learning how to fly solo after just just nine months of training. That seems short. OK, here's the thing. I, I was going to say that seems like so like not enough time. But then I remembered that. 
someone can grow a human being inside their body in nine months, which arguably is a grander, more absurd feat. Yep. So maybe that's okay. (laughs) Yep. Yeah. Um, so when she graduated or whatever they call it, got her license, got her wings, yep, got she, her jet pack. <laughs> she was registered as a commercial pilot rated to fly single and multi-engine airplanes, seaplanes, and helicopters. Wow. Yep. I, I guess I always kind of assumed it was kind of like your driver's license. Like you have to get licensed to like, you have to get your seat. It is now and your motorcycle license. Cause I know someone that's a pilot and he flies small aircraft. Yeah. yeah, Like if he wanted to fly for like Boeing, that's a different license. Helicopters are a separate license. But back then I think they were just like, sure. If you can fly one, you can fly them all that. Or maybe she did some like accelerated training where she learned to fly all of them. It's before they had to worry about people having their cell phones on airplanes. Like, please put your cell phones in airplane mode. Why? Right. (laughs) So shortly after getting her license, she would get her first airplane, a small, a small, small airplane. That's most of what she flew throughout her entire career. Um, so she got a Thruxton Jackaroo G-A-P-A-M, um, which she would own for about six years. A Thruxton Jackaroo? A Thruxton Jackaroo. That Remember, sounds... she went to the Thruxton Aerodrome. That That's was the place right. she, like, learned. I know, but Thruxton Jackaroo sounds like what someone would nickname <laughs> their like penis. A... It sounds Meet like a Mr. sex toy. Thruxton Jackaroo. It sounds like a sex toy. I like would... the rabbit. Oh, it my sounds, God. It sounds like something along those lines. I it's would like a self-thrusting dildo. I would definitely have a Thruxton Jackaroo right? in my <laughs> nightstand like drawer. Get, um, okay. Sex, sex industry listeners, get on that. Get I on want this. the Thruxton Jackaroo. I want to sit on the Thruxton Jackaroo. And then just say approved by whining about her story. Yeah, we will. Oh, my God. We will sponsor the fuck out of you. Right. Um. So she would have that plane that. She didn't set a ton of records in her first six years as a pilot, but after that, she would buy a Piper Comanche 260B GATOA. And I'm like, I don't know what half of that means, but I'm going to put it in there in case we have a listener that's like, I really know planes. I think that last part stands for Grand Theft Auto. Yeah. GATOA. That's how I would say it. Um, But she named her Piper Comanche the Myth 2. So M Y T H space T O O. The myth too. Ooh, um, as and in also. she would set a shit ton of world records in this airplane. Damn. So the first six years, she was just like, she was fucking just around. like, whatever. Yeah, and then and she's, now like, she's like, all right, we're serious. Now. We're going to find out. I also fucked thru- around for six the, years. The, the, the Thruxton <laughs> Jackaroo was just for fun. Now yeah. we're getting serious. Yeah, she she's upgrading. Um, She has deeper needs that need to be met. Um. Also, the myth too, you can plug it into your wall. No right. more looking USB. for no more looking for double A batteries, ladies. No more Full stealing them. No more stealing them from your fire alarm, <laughs> your smoke detector. No, you can you can fuck and not die in a fire yeah. now. <laughs> so, she would complete her first solo run around the world. Just like a month after buying this this new airplane. Um, she would start in London. She would fly out of Heathrow on May 18th, 1966 and return on June 20th, 1966, covering approximately 31,000 miles or 50,000 kilometers 
Um, basically, it totaled about 189 flying hours and lasted about 34 days. She flew around the world. Oh, okay. So, like, that seems like a long time to be in a plane, but also being able to fly around the world in a small plane in just over a month. Not terrible. Well, it just seems like so short. Why do all of the timelines in this story seem way too short to be responsible? <laughs> right? <laughs> um, because we're irresponsible? I mean, this is the 60s. That, that's the only reason we need. It was the 60s. So I, I've been like trying to look at this because some of the, the next things is like it's weirdly in contest. So um, this, this journey that she took would make her the first British pilot and the first woman to fly solo around the world. And I was like looking about that and I'm like, I'm pretty sure she's not the first woman to fly solo around the world because I'm pretty sure that was a woman named like Geraldine or Jerry or something like that. Um, so I wonder if they mean the first British woman and they just worded it weirdly in all the sources I read. Well, there are a lot of women who tried that's true. Like Amelia Earhart famously tried. Yeah. But I'm pretty, I'm like, cause I, I vaguely remember thinking about care covering Jerry and I'm pretty sure she did it first. Now I'm Googling it while I talk. Well, how, yeah, so she did it first in 1964 it took her 29 days, 11 hours, and 59 minutes. Okay, that seems like an even more ridiculous amount of time to literally fly around the world. Yeah. Also, because the world is... So maybe it's like the route they t she took. Maybe she took a different yeah. route. See, so maybe that's it's what like I'm saying. The world's a circle. Do you have to like fly around the fat part of it? No. Or, or can I... Can I fly to Antarctica, do a quick lap, and be like, <laughs> no, I, I was around the whole fucking world. Everyone can suck it. <laughs> so that would be funny. Yeah. Um, just doing the Northern Hemisphere. But at very least, if she wasn't the first woman, she was one of the first women to fly solo around the world. So maybe Still that's it. super impressive. Maybe, maybe Jerry flew with someone else. Hold it's on. Regardless, it's still really impressive. Yeah, I don't think so. I don't I think she flew. Okay. Anyways. I'll look more more up about that later. Um, but yeah, super, super impressive. Um, be, so during this flight that she took, she set 12 Federation Aeronautica Internationale, or the FAI, which I will be referring to it from now on because I don't want to say that again and again, world records for speed over a recognized course. So this is speed between different cities. I do okay. have them all listed, all 10 of them, but I'm not going to unless you really want to hear it but basically it's like london to rome or london to somewhere else and basically it's like she flew that distance faster than anyone else yeah um for all those records she set and for just being the first british pilot to fly around the world um she was awarded the silver medal of the guild of pilots the brabazon of tara award for three years in a row which are just like aviation awards. Cool. cool. She also received the Britannia Trophy, um, which was presented to aviators accomplishing the most commendable performance in aviation for that year. So she won that. She also won a gold medal from the Royal Aero Club um, for, out, for outstanding achievements in aviation and the Harmon International Trophy. She also won twice, which I think is pretty cool. Like she won a bunch of awards for doing this trip. That no, I mean that that's really cool because not only is she just doing this trip where like 
I feel like it's one of those things like as individuals, some of us, not me, we like to test ourselves and just see, I want to see if I can do it. Mm-hmm. I want to see if I can do the thing. Not only is she doing the thing, which is impressive in and of its own right, but she's doing it better. Right. <laughs> like she's doing the, all these different things and, and she's would, like breaking this records. would not be her only trip around the world. I'll just say that now. Okay. Okay. The, um, the, this is this is her warm up. Right. So after this momentous thing, Italy gave her the title Isabella de Este, which I assume is after the woman named Isabel de Este or the Marchioness of Man- Mantua, which I've actually heard of who that is. But basically it's a woman like a leading woman during the Italian Renaissance. She was huge in like their culture and a huge political figure. She was a big patron of the arts, a leader of fashion, and basically just this really innovative woman. So I assume that's why they like gave her that title. Okay. But I don't know. I couldn't find a lot about it. I, you know, I love that throughout your story, we've racked up at least two more women that we need to cover. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Stay tuned next time on Whining About Herstory. Maybe not next time, but like two times from Another now. time on <laughs> Whining About Herstory. Potentially sometime in the future. <laughs> right. Maybe. We'll see. Non-committal. Right. A few years after her first flight around the world, she would fly around the world again. She didn't break any records that time, but it's still pretty neat to do. Yeah. Um, she would then get another plane, this time just basically an upgraded Comanche, because that's what she was. The Myth 2 was a Comanche, and so she got like a better, more recent one. I hope she called it the Myth 2 2. <laughs> um, I actually, I have it written down like later when I talk about it a little more, but it was, it was something similar. I don't think it was like the Myth 2 2, but it was like something similar. Also, um, that's my new stripper name, Myth Tutu. Tutu. Yeah. Um, that's funny. So between all these flights, she would actually go to America briefly to appear on panel shows because why Why not? Um, basically, back then, there was a bunch of panel shows. And I've seen some, like, YouTubers that do something similar. But basically, it was a bunch of panel shows that, like, guests would come on and they would be like, these are all my accomplice or, like, the host would be like, these are all the accomplishments. Which person of these like four contestants is is the person? Yeah, yeah. Basically. Or you'd be like, I've done this. What's my profession? It was kind of like weird things like that. But yeah, so she appeared on one called What's My Line, which is exactly that. Celebrity panelists come in and they have to determine who does what for a living or like what achievements they've done to make them unique. And then the following- we talked about that. That sounds really familiar. At first, I was like, wait, did they just mispronounce, like, whose line is it anyway? No. No. Oh, my God. One of the best fucking shows ever. 100%. Oh, my God. Like, peak Drew Carey, whose line is it anyways, is like, even now, like, it's not... It's not as good as it was, but it's still pretty good. I I haven't seen any of the new stuff. I just remember watching on, like, ABC Family, like, all the reruns. Um. Then she would, the following year, be on another American panel show, which is basically the same, which is To Tell the Truth, which is another one where this one, like, the host reads out accomplishments, and then the panelists have to pick. Mm -hmm. Um, And she got, like, so there was four panelists, and she, like, three of the four people voted for her and got it right. Nice. Which is pretty cool. You know, I think we, I don't, I can't even begin to remember who, but we covered another woman who was on that show. Yep. And people kept getting stumped because they like didn't think a woman could do it 
Right. And that's like, I, I, I really want to like pull up like archives of that episode. Cause I'm like, okay, were they talking about a pilot? And there was like, it was all women. So they just had yeah. to pick one because yeah, like, I'm like, I'm pretty sure if it was like two men and two women or something, they'd probably vote are more likely to vote for the man because especially back then, even today, being a pilot is still, I feel like a kind of a male dominated field. Yeah. It is. Also, I hope that she showed up in a brown leather jacket, jawed purrs, knee-high boots, and like one of those little aviation yep. helmets with Please. the goggles. And she just stood and like somehow the scarf around her neck was billowing in the right. wind the entire time. And they're like, which one of these people is a pilot? Everyone's like, it's the guy. Ser- seriously? None Fucking of them. Fucking seriously? <laughs> right. Like, yep. not that one. <laughs> she wins something and goes, obvious. God bless Amelia Earhart. Which right. one of these people is a pilot? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, she enters the stage going, doing like airplane noises. Right. So in 1967, she accomplished another really cool thing. She won um, a Harmon International Aviation Trophy. Three other people won it as well, but basically she won it for setting a new light plane speed record of 28,633 miles solo in 33 days and three minutes. So she threw, flew the, the longest amount of time. Wait, the longest distance in the shortest amount of time? Yes. Okay. Or like, I don't know, maybe it was the same mileage in the shortest amount of time. Cool. But yeah, it was a new light plane speed record. Light plane speed record. So she got a trophy for it, which is pretty cool. She would then go on to participate in the London to Sydney air race, which was described literally. I had to find this because I was like, what is that? As, quote, an epic aviation competition covering a distance of approximately 11,500 miles. Can I just say, other than the word epic and the beautiful way that you read that, that sounds like the most dry boring statistical sentence where it's like it's like it's literally, literally just you, the definition you watch someone take like and i'm like the, you can't like watch them fly from london to sydney yeah like you're gonna you either you're either in london and you watch them take off or you're in sydney and you watch them land well i mean they have to stop places and refuel right probably so then people maybe watch them planes. like eat a sandwich right exactly like <laughs> It's not a very exciting thing. It's time for my midpoint meatball sub. Right. She would experience some mechanical issues during the race, but she would finish in four days and three nights um, and earn a Barnes Wallace trophy. She didn't like win the race, but she had the best performance of a British pilot. she, She got like a honorary like, hey, you did the best for Britain. Good job. Good for her. Good for her. Yeah. And in after that, uh, race she was interviewed and like asked like why she likes flying and stuff like this and her quote was quote or I I couldn't find the question but it was like about why she enjoys what she does so So someone just stuck a mic in her face and basically why um so she said quote this must be why I enjoy being in the air alone but in fact I never feel alone in the air because one has to work so hard and experience such extremes of emotion the senses for example are all are all highly intensified. The sense of sight when you look down, a pale pink becomes a deep rose. The seas really do look as though they have turquoise gashes in them. Your sense of smell up there, you can smell everything individually. The people of each country soon learned this uh, of my world flight. It started at Damascus where they filled the plane full of jasmine. 
Like, so she's like, I would travel around and I would talk to people about like how my sense of smell was enhanced and they gave me stuff to make my plane smell good. Oh my God. That's kind of cute. But yeah, so she, she talked about like, yeah, like a lot of people think it would be really lonely traveling for a month by yourself, but like, it's a completely different experience. Well, it's, it's like, you're so in tune with your surroundings because you have to be, and your brain is so thoroughly engaged and your senses are so thoroughly engaged. You kind of don't have time to remember there's not someone there. Like, like you, you don't have to look to another person for that stimulation. Yeah. Hmm. So I was wrong. This plane she bought was not, it's the plane after this plane that has a similar name. So this plane was called Enterprise. Okay. And... After she did all her panel shows and like kind of got the little celebrityness out of her system, um, in 1971 she would become the first person to fly solo around the world, going over the North Pole. Okay, so vert on the the except latitude. She didn't, she didn't go over the South Pole this time, so it must have been like kind of at an angle because she, later she would do it again but go over the south pole but that i have more story in between there <laughs> basically this <laughs> going over the north pole takes a little bit longer it's about a 34,000 mile trip um and yeah so you know the funny th- this i found this funny i had to add this in as a little anecdote so after she flew around the world over the north pole this is 1971 so she's 49 years old she finally passed her automobile driver's license test. Jesus Christ. After four tries over 12 years. Oh my fucking God. She explained her problems by saying, quote, it is terribly difficult to adjust to driving a car when you are accustomed to using your feet on rudder pedals. I wanted to haul back on the steering column and fly away. <laughs> I'm like... Oh, makes so anyone out there who did not um, pass their driver's test on their first time, I hope, we, I hope you feel a little bit better now. I would if I could also fly a plane, maybe. I just think it was funny that I it lo- took her four times in twelve years. It to took pass her nine her. months to be able to fly like twenty different types of aircraft. Yep, it took her twelve years. Yep. To drive. And I, I understand it would be a very different experience because it's kind of like you can know how to drive. You do not know how to fly a fucking plane. Right. But I always imagine like there's a lot more controls. There's a lot more to be aware of. And I guess I view flying a plane as more complicated because you're moving in 4D instead of just right. over a 2D so many, plane. There's so many other things to like yeah. account for. I love it's almost like driving was so basic and... right. Like pedestrian for her. It's like, mm, I don't like that I can't just like move up over the traffic. Right. Yeah. <laughs> she would have done great with one of those cars that turns into a plane. Yep. <laughs> there you go. Um, so after she got her driver's license, she decided to continue her pursuit of aviation records and would b- embark on another solo flight, this time to go around the world via the South Pole. This was a year later, and this time she would be flying her Piper Aztec named Mithri. So you were back to the Mithri. We're back to the myths. Oh my god, I love that. Um, that sounds like a character in in Legend of Zelda. Right, it does. It's not, but it does. You must collect twenty rupees and a horse for Mithri. Yep. The it could be like cool magical. It could be like a D and D person too. Yeah. Okay. If if I ever if I ever have a D and D character, their name Mithri. is Mithri. We're done. Um. So she would go from London to Christchurch, New Zealand, and then to the South Pole and around. And this feat made her the first person to fly solo to both the North and South Poles. 
good for her. Yep. I love that. Um, so that she would, the following year, set off on what would end up being her final solo journey around the world in her air, in another aircraft, this time named the City of New York. She, oh, she doesn't die in flight or anything. Okay. I, Emily said, had a very concerned look. There, there have been many stories where I'm like, everything's going fine. And then she died. We have both had those stories where it's like, da, da, da. And then she died. And it is, it, it's like, you feel it where you're like, it's a record scratch. And it's like, no, <laughs> like, what? no. What? <laughs> Everything was fine. Uh, no, no, this just, it just happened to be her last one. Okay. Um, this, this journey would again cover about 35,000 miles and took her to various locations worldwide. During the flight, she would also stab, establish a speed record for flying around the world over both poles. So before she did it and was the first person to do it, and this time she's like, no, I'm going to hit both poles and do it as fast as possible. So, so you stumbled over the word established, and it sounded like during this flight she stabbed, and I'm like, <laughs> yes! Aww. She just went around murdering everyone. She just sticks her hand out the window, and she's like, bring it on, geese. Right. <laughs> so in addition to flying, she did a lot of, like, ground-based things as well. Like learning to drive. So she was the founder and the first governor of the British branch of the 99s. So the 99s was an association for licensed women pilots. It was originally created in America by Amelia Earhart. Um, so she was the one to, to like branch out to the British and then she was the first person to like run it for the British, which I think is really cool. She was also a member of the International Association of Women Pilots and the Whirly Girls, which <gasps> is an association specifically for women helicopter pilots. Whirly Girls? Yes. That is my favorite thing. In the, I want to learn to, to pilot a helicopter just so I can be a Whirly Girl. Right. That's all I want in this world. Um, During... At some point during her aviation career, she was appointed an officer of the Order of the British Empire. Ooh. Um, so it's really interesting because I like looked this up, like what what an officer of the British Empire is, and ev- like this even includes like people that get knighted. So basically, the Order of the British Empire is um, an award for chivalry, rewarding contributions to the arts, the sciences, work with charitable or welfare organizations, public service outside of civil service. This is people who are not involved in government. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's like levels to it. So people that have been like knighted, um, that's like the top. So there's Knight Grand Cross or Dame Grand Cross of the Order of the British Excellence. So that's like the top one. And then there's Knight Commander or Dame Commander. And then there's Commander. And then there's Officer. And then there's Member. Is the knight versus dame, is that like a gender thing? Okay, because male versus female. Honestly, I'm just going to say, like, if I get to choose, I want to choose dame. Because dame commander sounds way more threatening. Right? Like, knight commander. Dame grand cross. Yeah, okay. But yeah, dame? Like, damn. So yeah, like, these, these are like actors and stuff when you hear them, like, called, like, I think, like, Dame Judy Dench. Yeah. Like, she's... I don't know which if she's top level or like the one before it, but she's like one of the people that that have gotten it. Um, any of the guys that are like knighted would also be on there as well. Mm-hmm. I believe it's the same one. That's awesome. I I do I do love like when someone gets the the title dame like Dame Judy Dench. It, you you have a hard time believing that she was ever not Dame Judy Dench. Like, right, like, like, like nope, he, that's how you were born. Like, she is in third grade. The teacher asks a question. She raises her hand, hand. They're like, yes, Dame Judy Dench? Right. What is three times five? 
And she's just an old, still an old lady, but she's tiny. Right. <laughs> God, that's all I'm like envisioning now. <laughs> and she's dressed like she's in um in Downton Abbey amongst all these school children. She's like, yes, Dame Judy Dench. <laughs> it's 15. That's super, super funny. Yeah, so she she's a dame commander, or was a dame commander of mm-hmm. the officer of the British Order. No, you're once a dame commander, always a dame commander. Um, Even so in yeah, Jeff. She, she's not like top, top, but she's like the one step down. I, it sounds, from when I was like doing minor research on it, it sounds like that that like top one, the Knight Grand Cross or the Dame Grand, Grand Cross, is not like incredibly common. Mm-hmm. So... Just so you know. There you go. Love it. Random stuff. Anyway, so she she got awarded the officer role. Um, she would write about three books on her experiences, some of which are, like, still available. Obviously, like, not widely, but they are because, obviously, like, they were written in, like, the early 70s. Right. So harder to find. Um, the All the photos are really grainy. The illustrations... Yeah are all slightly yellow for some reason. I like that you imagine that there's illustrations in her books. Yeah, on like how to fly. Okay. I don't know. I'm imagining it's an instruction manual, really. <laughs> right. Um, flying for dummies. Anyways, um, she sadly, like at the older she got, the more she would kind of fall out of public view and the more she would fall into poverty. So, sadly, before her death, she was living in a bedsit, which I had to look up what the fuck a bedsit was. I'm like, is this some kind of, like, hostel? No, a bedsit is essentially a one-room apartment. I'm <laughs> just like, okay. Apparently we it's call just those called a bed studios here. Um, basically, the way they describe it is, yeah, a form of accommodation common in parts of the UK. So, basically, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, which consists of a single room per occupant with all occupants typically sharing a bathroom but you have your own like, oh, co- but you have your own yeah. cooking area. Like, yeah. it, it's, I it's mean, interesting. It would be like my studio apartment yep. if I shared my bathroom, but right. I didn't. And not, you don't always share bathrooms, but that's like the typical thing. But yeah, it's like one step down from like a flat is what I imagine. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so she was living in one of those in poverty and uh, sadly um, she would get diagnosed with cancer and then die at the age of 66 Jesus Christ! At the Royal Marsden Hospital in London in 1988. I kind of rather she died in flight. Right? Like, at least that's more badass. This is depressing. Yeah. Also, like, I I mean, I guess the title of Dame or Knight doesn't come with any monetary compensation. Mm -hmm. Well, she she didn't get to the Dame yet. She was just an officer. Oh, she wasn't a dame she officer. Wasn't a dame officer. She was oh, just an officer. Still, I know you'd think there would be something like here's this very. Sh- I mean, at very least, she probably could have pawned it. But that sounds that seems bad. You shouldn't do that. If you get a nice fancy medal, maybe pawning it is not good. I mean, but yeah, like it's just really tragic that she did all these really amazing things and that like she just like the second she couldn't fly anymore, or chose not to fly anymore. That was it. Yeah. It just seems sad. Well, and, and that, I, I don't know. It, it, it's also sad to me because obviously there are a lot of people living in poverty mm-hmm. who are willing and able to work, but can't for, like there's, there's a trillion different reasons someone might be 
impoverished. But it's like this woman has brought all of this attention and pride to the country and they just kind of let her waste away. Yeah, it's really sad. I don't know. I'm like, how do how do they treat their their male athletes? Maybe I'm looking for trouble where there is none, but that just seems really sad. Right. So legacy. Um. So the federation, the the F FAI. I said I wasn't going to say it again. The FAI um database lists a minimum of seventy five records for speed over recognized courses set by Sheila within her within her lifetime. Thirty one of those are still current. Good God. So she is a current record holder. Yep. For at least 31 different yeah. courses, which I think is incredible. And that that's, I like double checked when I got, when I found that fact, that was as of like May, 2023. So like, Jesus that is Christ. recent. That is correct. Okay. And she set a lot of these records in like the seventies. Yep. Sixties and seventies. So even with all of the technological, like even with all the advancement, right. 31 of her records have not been beaten. Right. From the 70s. Yeah. And like, I'm sure some of it might just be like, maybe they're not as well flown routes, but you'd still think like people are fairly competitive. You'd think someone out there would be like, fuck it, I'm going to do it anyways. Well, and I kind of wonder too, because like uh, we, we, we talk about, I think it was like the early 1900s, late 1800s where um, endurance competitions and like length competitions because no one had anything fucking going on and we're all dying of smallpox. It's fine. Um, So maybe just those kinds of feats aren't as popular, but still swimming the English channel. Like I don't think it gets... I don't think it's that big of a deal. But people are still trying to do it. Yeah, exactly. Um, So Sheila's obviously had a lot of outstanding achievements in aviation and she received numerous accolades throughout her life. I mentioned most of the awards she won. However... Oh, what I didn't mention because it wasn't part of the story, but basically if you think about it, her contributions to the world of aviation inspired generations of aspiring pilots, especially females yeah. to follow their dreams in the, and break barriers in this male dominated field. And like basically be like, Hey, like let's do this. She organized all the, the female British pilots to be, you know, part of the female pilots association and all of this stuff. Um, that, that community building is so huge. Right. It, it reminds me of Junko Tabay, how she organized like the, the female mountaineer right. club or whatever, yeah. because women who were trying to join the male clubs were seen as like just hu- husband hunters. Right. And she's like, well, if you're not going to support us and take us seriously, let's find our own thing where we can support each other. And no one thinks we're trying to like hunt for, for a husband. Yeah, yeah. Like. No. Gross. Also, I'm just gonna say, if you're hunting for a husband, you there are better places than a mountaineering club, right? Like you're not gonna go for a mountaineering club. You know how many of those people die? Although, although yeah, maybe, maybe that's the point. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, maybe that is. Oh, I'm a, I'm. You're not married? No, I'm a widower. Oh, I'm so sorry. And it's then, like and then people leave you alone. Your home, yeah, exactly. And <laughs> people just leave you the fuck alone because it's not that you were never married. It's that your husband died, and yeah. that's sad. Yeah. Oh my God. We, <laughs> we unlocked a weird part of our brains there. Yeah, we did. Yeah. Um, so even though obviously Sheila passed, um, her legacy still lives on and she remains an inspiration to aviators and adventurers worldwide. Um, there's been a big push for her name to be remembered as one of the most prominent aviator aviation fi- figures in history. Cause she broke a lot of barriers and pushed a lot of boundaries. And at least one of her planes is on display in one of the aerospace museums in England. 
Nice. Um, and there are several buildings named after her, particularly one of the big ones is in the University of Worst. What do, how do we say we said it? Worcester. 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 Um, is named after her. But yeah, so that that's the Sheila Scott. You know, I want to learn to do an English accent, but only like a really terrible, like Cockney English accent. Do it. Yes. Hey guys, we know times have been tough lately for all of us. And during hard times, it can be difficult if you don't have anyone to talk to or it can be hard to talk about certain topics. Being alone with your thoughts can be isolating. This is why we are sponsored by BetterHelp. BetterHelp offers licensed therapists who are trained to listen to and help you. Talk to your therapist in a private online environment at your convenience. BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist. So you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. Thank goodness. There is a broad range of expertise in BetterHelp's 20,000 plus therapist network that gives you access to the help that may not be available in your area. You just fill out a questionnaire to help assess your specific needs, and then you get matched with a therapist in under 48 hours. That is Amazon fast. Then you schedule secure video and phone sessions. Plus, you can exchange unlimited messages, and everything you share is completely confidential, just like with an in-person therapist. You can request a new therapist at any time at no additional charges. If you want to talk to someone about your mental health, you can get a 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com slash Herstory. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash Herstory. All right, Emily. Well, okay, first of all, for, before we move on from anything, okay. first of all, no, moving I'm, on. no, I'm, I'm just, I'm just surprised I haven't heard of her because, um, you know, uh, Amelia Earhart, when you think of women in aviation, she is the first name that comes up. I get it. Right. Um, Bessie Coleman is getting a lot more recognition. We covered um, her. I covered you her. did. Yeah. That was sad. Her death was sad. <laughs> that um, was one where it was just like, and she died. That. That one pissed me off. I know, I remember. I'm still a little upset with you. I actually forgot about it, and now I'm ready. <laughs> I, I don't like You're you anymore again. But it reminded me, so I, I, I finished catching up on Bob's Burgers a while ago, and the uh, final episode of season 13 is called Amelia. And basically, Louise, who's like one of my favorite characters, um, she's doing a report that she, she's tasked with doing a report on a yeah. hero and she finds out about Amelia Earhart and this like, um, actually boy in his, in her class is like, well, she was more of a, like, you know, novelty. Like she didn't really like do anything cool and this and that bitch, please. Well, Louise starts learning about Amelia Earhart and all these cool things she did. And then she learns how Amelia's story ends and she's pissed because she's like, what do you mean? Like, we don't know what happened. But the way she kind of comes to terms with it and the way that the episode tells Amelia's story and like it, it's so good. It's really emotional. Like, I did not expect that. Yeah. But I, I highly recommend, even if you're not a Bob's Burgers fan, like just watch the episode Amelia. It's season 13, episode 22. You're going to feel some things. And it's really good. But I don't know, talking about women in aviation just made me think of that. But yeah, like, so Sheila Scott is a more modern aviatrix. She's more modern yeah. than Bessie Coleman, more modern than Amelia Earhart. So I guess I'm just surprised that she hasn't gotten more attention. But 
one of the reasons, and this doesn't discredit anything that Amelia Earhart accomplished. I think one of the reasons, though, that she has had such an enduring legacy is because no one knows what happened to her. It's it's the mystery. It's it's the tragedy and the mystery of her her disappearance and presumed yeah. death. Um, but yeah, no, that's just yeah. I can't believe we haven't heard of her, especially because she had a plane called New York City or the City uh, of New York or whatever. Like she was definitely pandering to us. We love that shit. We fucking love that shit. <laughs> love it. All right, Emily. Who you whining about? I am doing a tribute I mean, to, to our Canadian wine sponsor, Chelsea. And today I am whining about the famous five. Hmm, I love a that? good group project. You do. I do. Honestly, I think I like these history group projects because it's the dream where it's like, oh, Every, what do you mean everyone worked together and no one sucked ass? Right. <laughs> um, I also want to clarify, this is not the children's book series. I learned that was a thing and it very much complicated my research. Oh God, I can imagine. This is not that famous five that I didn't even know existed. <laughs> so what if your constitution guaranteed rights and protections for all persons? What if then... You discovered that you were not actually considered a person. That was the case in the Canadian Constitution. That is until five women took on the Supreme Court to assert their personhood. I almost said pussyhood. God damn it. Okay. Whatever. You know what? Um, If I'm going to have a Freudian slip, at least it's that. To assert their pussyhood in what would be thinking about the. the Thruxton Jackaroo. Yeah. Oh my, dude, I'm tingling. Seriously. I am actually tingling right now. Know what I'm doing when we're done with this. Um, so uh, they took on the Supreme Court to assert their personhood in what would become known as the person's case. But first. That's just such a weird, like, the person's case. It's All right. very relevant, though. I know. Uh, so first, let's meet our famous five Um, because the story is already a lot. I do not get a ton into the women individually. So these are just kind of like a herstory highlights. Cool. So Henrietta Edwards, an early feminist author and researcher who served as a red cross leader during world war one. Next is Nellie McClung, a teacher, women's rights activist and politician who was the only woman representative at the league of nations. Louis, Louise, I almost said Lewis. Louise McKinney, first woman elected to a legislature in the British Empire, which Canada was a part of at this time, and a temperance activist. So she would not like us, but I like to think she would respect us. Oh, 100%. Emily Murphy, the British Empire's first woman judge, having been appointed to the office of magistrate of Edmonton Juvenile Court and became a magistrate of the Women's Court. She was also a writer and activist. Also, Edmonton is where they founded Montosaurus, which is a herbivorous dinosaur. I thought you were trying to say like Montessori for a second. And I was like, Emily, that's not how you pronounce that. But yeah, now I understand. But it was found in Edmonton. So they called it in Montessaurus. Oh, I like it. Dino facts. Like Emily. And finally, Irene Parleby, 
first president of the United Farm Women of Alberta and served as the cabinet of the United Farmers of Alberta government. She also worked with the Red Cross during World War One. Oh, it was just the hot thing to do during World War One. It really was, especially for women, because they weren't allowed to do a lot of other yeah. things. Anyway. Each of these women had different strengths and experiences, but they were all driven, intelligent, and ready to fight for their right to party. No, to personhood. Individually, they were all notable, but together they would become a force that could not be ignored. In the wake of World War I, discussions about... All right. Right off the bat, let's fuck this up. It's fine. Everyone's expectations are low. Discussion about women's roles in the world accelerated. While there was fierce campaigning for women's suffrage long before World War I, the global conflict gave women more opportunities to enter the public sphere. And even though the war was over and men really just hoped women would put go back to their traditional roles, there was no putting them back in their box. Canada was also wrestling with the question of women's roles in society, in particular when it came to the Senate. Mm. The Constitution, known as the British North America Act of 1867, or the BNA Act, or BNA, however I end up putting it in my notes, it changes throughout, deal with it, referred to single people as he or him, and more than one person as persons instead of they or them, which is a very like standard English language convention, but whatever. Though the implication was still that persons actually meant men. Nowhere did it actually state that persons were exclusively men. In fact, the definition of, quote, qualified persons who could run for the Senate was someone who was at least 30 years old, who owned property worth at least $4,000, and resided in the province of their appointment. There is literally no reference to gender or sex. It is just how everyone decided to read it because patriarchy. And let's be fair, that was 100% the intention in writing it. But if you're going to exclude people, you gotta be specific. Us gals are very detail-oriented. That's actually how... Slavery got overturned in Massachusetts. We talked about that, where it's like, hey, it literally like says that you shouldn't be doing this and this is bullshit. And they're like, oh, shit, it does. Damn it. Anyway, uh, this was the latest battle in a war for women's rights. Slowly, white Canadian women were gaining the right to vote in provincial and federal elections starting in January of 1916, when women in Manitoba earned the right to vote and hold political office. The other provinces followed across several years, with Quebec coming in dead last, having only given women the right to vote in provincial elections in 1940. Quebec. Or Quebec. You know what? Come at me, Canada. Canada. Oh, Canada. I do not know your song. Inuit, First Nations, Black, Matisse, and other BIPOC women in Canada faced greater barriers to vote. First Nations women, for example, wouldn't get the right to vote until... Any guesses? Grossly late. 1960s. So grossly late. Disgustingly late. Yeah, that's like... That just makes me mad. Yeah. Discourse over who could and could not be considered a person was one that Emily Murphy was no stranger to. 
So Emily, if you remember, was the British Empire's first woman judge. And on her first day of judgery in 19... Judging? No, I like judgery Judiciary duties, judgery. Uh, In 1916, some butthurt lawyer challenged her presence, saying that she wasn't a person and therefore couldn't be a judge, even though she literally was a judge. She did not show up with her own robe proclaiming herself to be a judge. Like, there's a process to becoming a judge. Right, like... And this butthurt lawyer... fucking Christ. Who I imagine is arguing a case in front of her is like, well, you're not a real judge. And she's like, are you fucking kidding me? And the guy's client is just like... I have the worst fucking attorneys. Can I get a new lawyer, please? I have the worst fucking attorneys. So... This, the, I mean, th- this was an old battle. So while the butthurt lawyer's argument didn't prevent Emily from serving as a judge, legally the Constitution backed up his assertion that women were legally not persons. Not by actually stating that, but, but just how everyone interpreted it. That's seriously gross. Women in Canada desperately needed a change. In 1922, women's rights activists supported Emily Murphy's run for a Senate position. Women's rights organizations across the country supported Emily's appointment, but the government wasn't having it. Not only were they not having it, they refused to take any responsibility for it, saying that they, quote, would like nothing better than to have women in the Senate, but the British North America Act made no provisions for women. So basically, the government, who gets to make the rules... Was being a bunch of asshats. Was like, there's nothing There's nothing anyone could have done. There's nothing that can be done. This is the way it is. This is the way it will always be. Because we as a government are pretending we have no power to change it. I also just want to like remind everyone... We get to craft the world that we live in. And I understand it feels very helpless and like our sphere of influence is very small a lot of the times. But as a group, we get to decide what the rules are. And the fact that people are making rules are intentionally harmful to others is gross. Sadism. It's the most sadistic shit. Yeah. You know? So this half-assed excuse was not going to cut it. In 1927, Emily Murphy formed the dream team that would become known as the Famous Five. Nellie McClung, Irene Parlby, Louise McKinney, and Henrietta Edwards. The five activists met Emily in her Edmonton home and created a plan that weaponized the Constitution being used to oppress them against the government itself. I'm imagining they're like all gathered around a tea table, someone like unravels a map. There's like heist music playing. They're like, okay, here's the plan. Fuck yeah. And then it's like a montage of like someone's contorting through the the air ducts and someone else is like knocking out a guard. And it's like just total heist movie stuff. I love it. Herstory headcanon. Herstory headcanon. This is Ocean's Eleven. Edmonton Five. <laughs> So according to Section 60 of the Supreme Court Act, a group of five persons could petition the government to make the Supreme Court interpret a point of law in the Constitution. So if you had five people who petitioned the Supreme Court to be like, you need to take a closer look at this. Right, like something's not right here. Yeah, like we need an interpretation because this is not clear. Uh, The five women, so this is why there's five of them. The five women wrote and signed a letter petitioning the Supreme Court to answer two very simple questions. One, 
Is power vested in the Governor General and Council of Canada or the Parliament of Canada or either of them to appoint a female to the Senate of Canada? Like basically, whose power is it to do this and therefore whose power is it to not? Like who's your fucking authority? And then number two, is it constitutionally possible for the Parliament of Canada under the provisions of the British North America Act to otherwise or otherwise to make provisions for the appointment of a female to the Senate of Canada? Basically, they're like, you're saying there's nothing you can do about it. Are you sure? Is it possible for the Parliament to make provisions for the appointment of women like right like i think you're full of shit like like they're 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 asking the supreme court to rule on the government's excuse right so the petition made it to the supreme court but was con- was condensed into one single question does the word person in section 24 of the british north america act of 1867 include female persons i'm just going to say when you ask does person include a female person and you're calling women persons and you're asking if person applies to them? I feel like you've answered your own question, but that might be the English major in me. Mm-hmm. But this is why this is called the the person's case. Yeah. Because it's literally so interesting. the definition of, of the person. word person. And if you think that's absurd. In, in law. Yeah. Yeah. Because one person was saying, well, this doesn't apply to women. Yeah, and everyone else is saying, well, it literally doesn't say that it does or does not. It says person. Person means person, which is everyone. Person does not mean man. (laughs) Yeah, but I mean, if you think that this is absurd, we're still bitching about like a comma in the Second Amendment. So, so. There's so much I'm not criticizing Canada. I'm criticizing the world. Yeah. On April 24th of 1928, the all-male Supreme Court of Canada unanimously ruled that women were not persons. Fucking Christ. Their reason? They asserted in the year of our goddess, 1928, that the British North America Act of 1867 needed to be interpreted in the present day the same way it had been interpreted in 1867. Basically, the way it was intended and written and interpreted in the 1800s is how it must always and forever, including in the present day, be interpreted. Jesus Christ. And remember, nowhere does it say that persons must be of a certain sex or gender. It is just that everyone decided without being stated that it was exclusively in reference to men. This is the patriarchy. This is like... The mental, cultural, and emotional bias that is the patriarchy. This was a devastating blow, but it wasn't the end for the five women. They decided to take their case to an even higher power. Dame Judy Dench? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> How funny would that be? Oh though? my God. J- Dame Judy Dench. I, okay, first I was imagining her like busting in Supreme Court and just like blowing everyone away, but I'm like, no, she wouldn't have to. She would just wag her finger at them, give them the look, and they would all piss themselves. Exactly. They'd be like, shit, it's Dame Judy Dench. Judy Dench. Judy (laughs) Dench. Speaking. Still, they would still piss themselves, even if that was her name. Going going back to Bob's Burgers, there's there's a character in there who has a brunch blog under the name uh, Dame Judy Brunch. Mm, And I I love love it. it. I know. It's amazing. 
No, they took their they took their case to the judicial committee committee committee. Oh my god, it's back! It's back. We've said that we so many times. Committee. <laughs> oh my god. Oh, flashbacks god. into mispronunciation. The judicial committee of the Privy Council in London, which was Canada's highest court of appeal at the time, because remember, Canada is still a part of like the British Empire, and that's a whole thing that I did not get into for this. So the Privy Council committee delivered their decision on October eighteenth, nineteen twenty-nine. Any guesses as to what they they ruled? That person means everyone. Probably not. <laughs> Overturning the Supreme Court's ruling stating that persons did in fact include women and that women were eligible to become members of the Senate of Canada. Thank God. A man named Lord Sankey. Great name. Love it. Um, he delivered the judgment uh, saying that, quote, the exclusion of women from all public offices is a relic of days more barbarous than our own. And those who ask why the word person should include females, the obvious answer is why should it not? Ooh. Which is like such a modern argument where it's like, well, why should it include that? Why the fuck not? Right. Like what? Why? Yeah. Why not? Like, like make your argument for, for for why women are lesser. And make it make sense because you can't. It's yeah. it's like when people bitch about like, well, why does that character have to be black? Why does that character have to be gay? Why not? Why do they have to be straight? Or white? You know? Right. Anyway, I just, I, I, I love that because I'm like, that's something I would, that is still relevant today. And this is some like old British guy ruling on women's rights in the 1920s. Right. Like. Fuck yeah. So this ruling also supported what is now a standard constitutional interpretation called the living tree doctrine. So basically, this is the idea that a constitution is a living, changing document that needs to adapt to the times. So even though it may have been interpreted one way in the 1800s, that doesn't mean that's how we have to interpret it today. Because our world is changing and we can't keep relying on a document written by fallible be beings hundreds of years ago to dictate our modern problems. Because they owned people. Just saying, they're in a different headspace. On February 15th, 1930, less than a year after the ruling, Kareen Wilson was sworn in as Canada's first female senator. With women being able to sit in the Senate, they had more power and influence to advance the rights of women in Canada and to just generally have a say on in how their own country was run, which is really, that was a huge tenant of women's suffrage in the United States. So like, how can we be subjected to the laws as citizens if we have no say in what those laws are? Right. Like, what, what happened to no taxation without representation? Like, we are not being represented. How can you how can you claim to rule like that we're citizens if you're not letting us have a say? So the ruling in the person's case was a great victory for women's rights in Canada and Henrietta, Nellie, Louise, Irene, and Emily, who became known as the Famous Five or Valiant Five or Alberta Five or a bunch of other nicknames, were recognized as heroines. They have been commemorated with individual and group plaques in Canada's Senate, two identical Sculptures by Barbara Patterson uh, in Calgary and Alberta and on Parliament Hill in Ottawa 
and uh, another at the Manitoba legislature in Winnipeg. Like they're all over the place. There are parks named after them and they have been honored as individuals and as a group. For example, Irene Parlby, Parlby was honored with an honorary law doctorate by the University of Alberta. So they they have gotten recognition. Uh, they even achieved what is one of our favorite forms of recognition when they were placed on Canadian $50 bills as part of the 2001 Journey series. One of our lovely Canadian listeners sent us the Viola Davis Davis mm-hmm. um, bill. I would also love to see this. Just saying. Yeah, especially Canadian money is so pretty. Like people don't understand how Americans use our use their money because it's because it's, it's pretty. Well, it's all the same color. It's not even that it's not pretty. It's all the same color. So it's like, how do you visually tell the difference? Yeah. And I think part of it is because one, we rarely ever use cash anymore. Two, we're just so visually attuned to the subtleties. Yeah, we we recognize the differences. Yeah. However, and this is a really big asterisk and a really big dark element to the legacy of these women. You're not, and none of us should. There was a dark side to these five women's activism. They were members of the horrific eugenics movement, which was dripping with the slime of racism, elitism, and ableism. They supported laws that led to the forced sterilization of thousands of of indigenous women. We must also note that the victory of the person's case didn't advance the rights of women in the BIPOC community or women who didn't possess wealth. Because remember that definition of persons? was still pretty elitist because like well you have to have four thousand dollars worth of land like you have to be in the elite and as we also talked about like indigenous women black women like just like in the united states there was a massive delay in white women getting the right to vote and then women of color even in the same social status getting the right to vote So much like the women's rights movement in the United States, many who led the charge were middle to upper class white women who were advocating for women like themselves rather than all women. And as with many of of the other, excuse me, as with many of the women that we cover, they live in duality. They are heroic figures while also supporting terrible ideals. They are victors for some and oppressors to others. They can be all of these things and more at the same time. Just like male historical figures that we love to venerate, we can acknowledge the good as long as we do not ignore the bad. Yep. And that is the big thing. That is like when people are talking about Thomas Jefferson and all the good stuff he did. It's like, yeah, but let's also remember he was a rapist. He raped enslaved women. Right. Like he was... A terrible person. Yeah. And those two things, his victories and his horrors, they can exist at the same time. And I feel like that's a huge lesson in humanity and character and especially learning about history that we just are totally being deprived of. You know? 
Because we want to think of yeah. people as good or bad. And I get that. And even you and I, like, we're always going the like, whoop, whoop, you go, girl. Right. And, but that's why it's so important yep. to acknowledge when the women we cover fucking fail us. Right. And fail others. So I want to end this not with an inspiring quote that makes us feel a little bit better about the women and what they did, because I feel like we've covered that, but rather with a call to action. Let us all learn from the past, both the victories and the horrors, so that we may do better today. And that is my not-so-Canadian nice story of the famous five who had a significant impact on women's rights in Canada, but were also deeply problematic. Yeah. uh, Yep. yep. Like the majority of historical figures we're ever going to talk about. Accurate. But, but yeah, I don't know. The, the whole the whole idea of having to define the word persons oh, and getting God. like the bureaucracy that we hang ourselves up in as as human beings is disturbing. It's 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 absurd. It, it's so enraging. I just I can't. But yeah, no, we literally had to define women as being people. So next time you're bitching about the feminist agenda, remember we literally had to define women legally as human beings. That's just so gross. Isn't it? Like, and also so uncomfortable. Women are not the only ones who we have had to define as human beings. Black people, immigrants, indigenous people, like there have been laws and language even today that take away people's personhood. We're still doing it. And that's why these, these stories are so important because it seems absurd to us today that we're having to argue that women are people, but how many people today are we saying, "Mm, yeah, but they don't deserve the same rights as I do. Right. Because of this, that, and the other thing, like we're having to learn the same lesson over and over and it's getting really exhausting. Yeah. It's also bullshit. Yeah. Well, that was my Canadian story. So, Kelly, my darling, what are you thankful for? Nothing. Are you thankful for learning how to say Worcester? No. (laughs) Worcestershire? In a very Cockney accent. Worcester? Um, I'm never going to stop saying it. I know. I am thankful for my tiny pug. There you go. She's so goddamn cute. She's so goddamn cute. I love that she doesn't know how stairs work. No, she has not figured that out yet. And I am okay. It's super funny, though, because she like she understands the concept that people go upstairs and they end up somewhere else. So like when we're outside, we have our deck and our patio and we'll go out the patio. But then one of us will like go upstairs for the deck and she'll she understands. So she'll go sit in the middle of the yard and stare up at the deck. She understands or she'll run downstairs to the downstairs door because she's like, okay, I understand that that person went inside. Mm-hmm. But yeah, she does not understand the concept of how to get upstairs. She physically just cannot. I I, I don't think it's an issue of understanding. She just physically can't do it because one of your steps is taller than yeah. she is. <laughs> she She's done the little like foam ones we have upstairs once and then she just leaped off the top of them because she got distracted. Oh, you mean she is, you mean the foam stairs specifically designed for dogs yeah. with stubby legs? Yep. Yeah, <laughs> that makes sense. So fucking ADHD. She's a puppy. That is her state of being. 
It's kind of hilarious. But yeah, what no, are you she's super cute. Um, I am really thankful. Uh, so my work is participating in a school supply drive. So mm. every year, um, the city does this big like school supply fair bash thing where families can come, they can participate in activities and get school supplies. And it's just kind of like a come and take what you need kind of thing. Right. There's not the shame of like, what is your income to family? Ra- like, like there's not a bunch of this red tape bullshit. and it, you know, they have free haircuts. It's kind of one of those things where like, regardless of your income level, you can probably benefit from and enjoy. So it's, it's really nice. So instead of it being like a pity party, which sometimes that's how charity can feel or yeah. like going to get help can feel. It's this big celebration of like, oh my God, the kids are going back to school and let's make sure they have everything they need to succeed and this and that. Right. Um, it feels a little bit better for everyone involved. Yeah. It's this, it's this big community coming together celebration. And it's, it's awesome. Um, so I was going to go school supply shopping and I took Q with me cause she loves shopping and I it have does not to surprise me. I say no to her a lot <laughs> when we're like shopping together, but I'm like, now I can say yes. And I even like, I went on Canva and I made this cool, like school supply list and wrote down the things we were definitely going to get. And I'm like, okay, you're in charge of the list. And she fucking loved that. I'm like, okay, what's next on the list? Um, and it was, it was really cool. And then she was also getting into the like, you know, like I'm not buying stuff that is garbage, but we're definitely trying to, you know, I'm, I'm not rolling in cash, right? you know, no, so, I'm, so I'm trying to maximize like how much can I get? Um, cause I'd rather get five notebooks that I can afford than one notebook that I can afford, you know? Yeah, that's valid. Um, so so we were like price shopping together and like the way she was thinking about it. And she was kind of like getting into the hunt of it, which is cool because when she's shopping for herself, like seeing the prices is very discouraging, which like I get it. But with this, it was more of like a fun challenge. Um, and something else that we got were hygiene items. So they need like shampoo, body wash, um, toothpaste, um, menstrual products. So I put some of those on the list and like Quinn is going down the list and it's like, okay, binders, pencils, folders, notebooks. And she gets the hygiene stuff and she's kind of like makes this face and she's like body wash. And I'm like, yeah, like not everyone has access to that at home. And this is a way for like people to get what they need or the schools can help provide that, you know? And so it was kind of this cool opportunity to like, without guilting her and, you right, know, to like, but like, explain. or shaming her just being like, yeah, not everyone has access to this. So we're going to do our part to help. I love that. And she had so much fun. It was also really fun for me. And then she's like, can we go back to your house and pack the backpacks? Cause we got a couple of backpacks and I'm like, well, I'm, I was just planning on bringing everything in the plastic bags. And she's like, no, because these are going to be easier to carry. And I think she just really wanted to like pack it all up. So we did that. And she just, she had a ton of fun and yeah, no, it was, it was a really good experience. Um, and I think it was really good for her too. Oh, she was, I think she was excited to like hang out and go shopping, but right. also she is a, she is like kind of a, I want to help people minded person. And this was a fun way for her to engage in that. And then also like learn something. Yeah. You know, cause when you think of like shopping for school supplies, you don't think of pads or tampons or shampoo. Right. Like, and I think that was a little eye opening for her. So yeah. That's really amazing, Emily. 
I mean, I also loved it. I, I mean, yeah, I miss but school still, supply like, shopping. It's it's nice to like be able to, to like kind of turn it into a teaching moment, but as well as just like a feel good moment and like a have fun moment. Like there's just a lot. There was a lot in there and it's that's really nice. You know what? what one of my favorite parts. This was super cute. Uh, we found these packages of erasers and, you know, they're like big fancy erasers that mm-hmm. are like in shapes of different animals and have designs. She's like, we should get some of these. And I'm like, well, those are those are kind of expensive. You only get like a few erasers per bag. But I did see some others that were cheaper, like back in this aisle. And, you know, it's just like the standard erasers that you put on the, the top of your pencil where they kind of look like a diamond shape. Yeah. And she was like, I'm on it. And like fucking booked it back to the pencil aisle to find the erasers. And that was like her specific, like, this is what we should do. Like, oh, we should give them erasers too. And there were even a couple of things I didn't have on the list, but I knew were on the like larger list. She's like, do they need binders? And I'm like, well, I wasn't going to put that on the list, but let's fucking do it. Like, I really got into it too. I spent too much money, but it's fine because it was for charity. Right. for people who need it. Yeah, it's one of those things the that you're like, all right, it's, it's okay. Yeah. It's okay. Everything's fine. Yeah, no, Quinn, she fucking loved it. She loved it. Good. Well, thank you so much for listening to another very Canadian episode of Whining About Herstory. Like us on Facebook at Whining About Herstory, Instagram at WAHPAD. Twitter at WAH underscore pod. Our website is whiningaboutherstory.com where you can find our links to all of our social media, links to all of our episodes, links to our sweet ass merch. You can find our Patreon where you can donate as little as $1 a month to support us monthly. Or if you want to do a one-time donation, you can do the Buy Me a Coffee that Emily previously mentioned. Buymeacoffee.com forward slash W-A-H pad. Also, I think you mean the social platform formerly known as Twitter. Did it change its name? It's called X now. What? It's literally just the letter X. When did that happen? When Elon Musk decided Twitter was like too fun of a name and he went back to like Y2K where calling something X was cool. Okay, to be perfectly honest, I don't post shit on Twitter anymore. Okay. I I don't engage with it. It's a lot easier to cross post with Instagram and Facebook. No Twitter. I didn't even have patience for Twitter when it Toward was Twitter. End, yeah. No, even when it was Twitter. Like it was so overwhelming for me. And I was just doing it for the podcast. And now I super fucking don't give a shit anymore. But seriously, Instagram and Facebook, Instagram in particular, is where we shine. Visuals, go and see Kelly's baby pug. She's so cute, it makes you want to commit violence. Accurate. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of Whiny About Herstory. I'm Emily. I'm Kelly. And have an empowered day, y'all. Bye!